What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Instagram Live episode. Um, this episode is with Blasco. We did this on May 31st, and uh, this is a really interesting one. Um, I kind of wish we would have done this as a regular episode initially, but I guess this is the next best thing. Kind of took a little bit to get into it with Blasco. Uh, I think he had just kind of woken up or something to that effect. Um, but I, I think once the conversation really got rolling, we really got on some really interesting topics as far as uh, how bands can basically get through these uh, COVID times and so forth. And um, just some really great information at the end. I know during the chat, a lot of people were commenting like, this is really great content. Hope you can make this available somewhere else. Um like everything else, these are all available on our Instagram page under our Instagram TV uh, tab. If you just go to our Instagram channel, uh, Instagram at Pod, same as our YouTube. It's been up over there for about a month or so now, um, and I'm just getting now to getting the audio to all of you. So, um, like I said, this is a really great conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. I, I took a lot away from this, and, and as a result, uh, this kind of has informed a few other conversations I've had since then. Um, Blasco is one of those that is just a fucking genius uh, when it comes to a lot of the music industry stuff. So like always, going to get done with my blabbing. Enjoy this conversation with Blasco. I know I did. Very informative. And if you're not following him on Instagram, follow him at Blasco1313. Dude is just uh, phenomenal. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Blasco from the Instagram Live, May 31st. So the, this may not work. Let's see how that goes. Connection a little bit better? Is there still a lag on your end? Uh, it might be okay now. Okay. Yeah, how, uh, how are things out, out your way this morning? Uh, you know, I mean, to be expected. Yeah. yeah it was a little a little weird uh, last night here in Grand Rapids. We, it was weird to see my city trending uh, for all the wrong reasons. And uh, right. But it was pretty interesting to go this morning a mere few hours later and to see the whole city basically downtown cleaning up. Uh all the graffiti and a lot of the damage and so forth. So it was, uh, I guess, take good with bad kind of a situation. Sure. Yeah. Or I think that what, makes sense. Yeah. I think it's kind of what we're, we're in right now. Um, didn't necessarily want to keep it focused on any of that. It's just, I didn't expect everything to happen uh, as, as it has unfolded in the last, I'd say 18 hours or so. For sure. Um, a little bit hard not to, to kind of talk about things, especially when they are so cool, like five minutes away from where you live. Um, all of that said, though, I have kind of been thinking about the different aspects of what you do in the industry and how you seemingly are always having to adapt between being a musician, being a, a business, uh, having a business yourself, being a band manager and so forth, and just the adaptability that you've had to endure over what a 30-year career at this point yeah with <clears throat> the plus i think uh <laughs> it, it basically started in 1986 yeah yeah how uh do you feel that that has and what you've traversed over the, the three decades plus has maybe better prepared you for what we're going through uh, i don't think it has anything to do with one another to be totally honest I guess maybe the uncertainty of your day to day, maybe, um, you know, cause of your, you know, you can show up in stages in the way it's supposed to be. You just kind of have to roll with the punches and, and be more fluid with everything. I kind of think is more where I was going with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I think I'm, uh, adaptable and flexible just for sheer survival. Right. And the, the sheer, want to be in music on some level not to be disconnected by it and so to be in control of it versus you know as a say for instance as a hired gun bass player guy like i'm not in control of that because i'm it's i'm waiting for the guy who i play for to make those decisions right so i'm not in control of when i play or what i play right it's kind of up to up to that guy. So, but I still want to be in music and, and still want to do everything around that. Um, and, you know, for instance, like playing an Aussie's band, a very like 
I don't necessarily want to play in a bunch of other bands. So, you know, someone might think like, well, if you're waiting around for Ozzy to call the shots, like, why don't you just play in other bands? It's not really like that. Like I kind of prioritize that. Um, And I can do things on the side like Zach Sabbath because it's with Zach and we both prioritize Ozzy's career. Right. And, uh, and we build our lives around that. Um, So, but still wanting to be in music, still wanting to be active, still wanting to have a career in music. I had to do other things to stay active in there while I'm not playing. Out of curiosity, because, you know, as I've kind of referenced in, in building up to this, and I think even in our last conversation on the podcast, when we were kind of promoting a new level podcast, it seems that you're one who is able to kind of study the landscape of, of the music industry and kind of make very informed decisions. Is it something that you've just kind of inherently gained the knowledge of, or is it more of an instinct thing where you just kind of have always followed your gut and what feels right to you? I think it's partly instinctual. And like I said, I think it's primarily survival as well. Um, You know, just trying to do my best to stay relevant and in front of things. And, um, you know, and, and the industry is moving at a very rapid pace nowadays. So it is harder and more difficult to to do that and stay relevant and stay in front of it. Um, but you know, I get up every day and and try. You know, that's that's it's. I don't know anything else. All right, I don't I don't have a I don't have a backup plan. So <laughs> it's gotta it's gotta be what it is. Something I've kind of been fascinated in doing this podcast now for a little over three years and just kind of the crazy crazy ride it's been uh learning how to and you know i've always kind of joked with, with some of the band people i've talked to where it's like you started this thing off because you have a passion for for creating music for jamming with your friends and so forth what you didn't expect to happen is to have to turn it into someone has to be an accountant someone has to be a marketing manager someone has to learn logistics of sound lighting engineering and all that kind of stuff and even you know business management and marketing and all that kind of stuff how do you how have you found time to prioritize all of the things that you do without sacrificing your own i guess sanity of your personal life or whatever or has that not really been a, a thing you've been able to necessarily juggle very well no i mean there there's no i mean everything that i do is all encompassing um there's no there's no really definition of family life or anything like that like you know, music is my life you know, right. that's, that's my DNA. And, and, <clears throat> and so that's, it's just, just all there is, you know, there is, there is no, there's, there's nothing else, you know, that's just, I think it's just kind of that way. It's always, it's always been that way, really. It's always been, you know, the thing that kind of runs, runs the show. So. It's just interesting. I know for me trying to, you know, work my normal nine to five, find time to, to do the podcast, do the research, do all this other stuff, but then still find time to be with my wife to now be with our new puppy that we just got. It's like, it's sometimes kind of hard to figure out the best way to not burn yourself out in any one thing, but not spread yourself too thin either. So it's, it's kind of been interesting to think about that as I get older, about how successful musicians and so forth and people who are just so multifaceted with what they do, how they find the time to compartmentalize their life. So they don't suffer fatigue or don't burn, burn bridges on both ends to basically cause people to go away, you know, like whether it be working relationships or your your personal relationships to where people aren't just like, dude, fuck you. I'm done. (laughs) Can't deal with this. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just, like I said, man, you just get up and do what, do the best you can. I mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's any trick to it or any secret or any thing that, you know, it's like, you just gotta, it's just, it's kind of simple, really. You just gotta do the best you can do and then wake up the next day and do the same thing. So, man, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, it's not very insightful, I guess, but that's just the way it is. I just think it's something for me where I try to gleam some knowledge uh, or perspective from people who have been doing this for a while and maybe learn from some of those mistakes that they've made where they're like, oh, you know, I, what I needed to do was dedicate X amount of time, maybe per day or whatever, treat the other things 
like you would a job and then basically it allows you to kind of prioritize everything equally or as equally as you can so you're not suffering fatigue and you're not burning out people that want to be around you yeah i i i I probably straddle the line of burnout but um but there's no there's no uh, there's no option right because it's like what i do justifies everything else so i have to fight through burnout i have to fight through frustration um there is there it's i can't i can't take a day off i i know i run my own business and my own business justifies my livelihood so and my business is 24 7 so there are no days off you know there's not there's nothing there's just nothing there's really no nothing that i can sort of teach anyone or you know be all that insightful about it's just kind of like you just got to do the, the best that you can do. And, 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 uh, you know, and, um, and, and whatever works for the individual, right? Like if, if there's a, if there's a cutoff for you and you'd have to spend time doing this other thing to, to then be able to go and did this other thing motivated, then that's what works for you. Right. And, uh, and I, I I've got, <clears throat> like, I just sort of roll with it. Like anytime that I try and think that I, have a plan or have a structure, it's completely pointless because it all just goes out the window as soon as there's a crisis that I have to fix or whatever. And, um, and so it, it, it's a, it's a sort of penciled in structure, but it, 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 it can't, like, I can't, as much as I've tried and I wish that there was, I could wake up at this time and do this and at this time and do this and go to the gym at this, like, it, it just can't happen. It just doesn't, this doesn't work that way. Out of curiosity with, I know when dealing with a lot of the publicists who are <laughs> constantly emailing me now because all their clients have a shitload of time to do press, um, are you finding that on your end of things that you are busier than you have been typically uh, when the touring industry kind of was more at a, a normal pace? Uh, I'm definitely busy. Um it's just in different ways. I mean, you know, this whole thing has really shed a very dark light on the reality that, you know, your livelihood can be taken away from you at a, a moment and you having nothing, no say in it. Right. right. Um, so that's frightening. That's frightening that you spend, you know, the, your entire career on building one thing that can be taken away in an instant and you not having anything to do with it. Um, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty wacky. And I got to think, you know, the, you know, the, the, the countless people that are, you know, unemployed right now are thinking the same thing. Um, so, but, you know, not to be negative or anything, but it's just, so I think that there's a, a dark cloud hanging over all of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just gotta, you just gotta get up every day and face it. Like I remember someone saying like, you know, you can't use COVID as an excuse to, 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 to tag out. Right. Um, and, and, and that really kind of stuck with me is, is like, you know, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you just gotta fight. You gotta innovate through it. You gotta figure out a way to make it, make it work. Um, because potentially this is going to happen again in some level and, you know, use this time to be prepared for the next time. Um, but I think the answer to your question is I've been as busy as always. It's just busy with different things. Like I'm saying, you know, taking time that I would have spent on this to try and focus on innovating in some way or coming up with a new idea to actually make up for that missing income and, and work for myself or the bands and what have you. So um, it's just, it's been a, it's been a challenging time because it's been dark, but then on the flip side, it's, it, you know, trying to be as creative as possible and innovate. Um, so it's definitely a share of very struggling challenges. Have you been surprised at some of the interesting, you know, I'm kind of thinking, you know, listening to a bunch of different podcasts I listen to and kind of just seeing everything that everyone's doing, you know, a friend of mine, uh, had the drummer from Clutch on on his podcast the other day, and you know they're talking about looking at adapting and going to smaller, you know, probably bars even, uh, just to kind of 
get back out because you know clutch is a live band they like the live experience they like the joy of playing with each other much like a lot of bands do but then you're even seeing things you know like uh i think it was dropkick and code orange did the empty shows or empty venue shows and you're kind of seeing a lot of bands doing interesting things bad walls with like the patreon doing covers doing you know things and it's kind of it's been interesting to see how the industry has adapted i know that's kind of a theme we're kind of talking about but they can't go out and play shows which is how a lot of bands make money and so for them to kind of figure out different ways to to do things you know like i was talking uh with brian from currents uh which will be out next week i believe and you know we got to talking about how it's interesting to see code orange kind of adopting more of the hip-hop philosophy and sorry talk to me it was on the talk to me podcast he just commented on it um but basically you know they're doing what hip-hop has kind of been doing where there's a single and then they put out a clothing line behind it and there's there's all these different facets to how they're promoting their music now which isn't necessarily the traditional means of how rock and metal have typically done it and i think it's been interesting to see that slight change during this COVID thing where it almost seems like the rock and metal industry is almost adopting to what pop and hip hop have been doing for a while, which is just kind of doing things, live streams, finding other things and so forth, and just kind of getting their name and the brand out there to keep it consistent. And I'm wondering if we'll see that trend, that trend keep happening once all of this is over, because they realize that it does work. Yeah. I mean, quite possibly a lot of bands have discovered a way to utilize social media that they maybe had taken for granted before. Um, I definitely hope that exploration continues. And, and, and I, I definitely, I mean, clutch is a good example, whereas they've been doing the three song live streams for free. Right. And they just did a yeah. paid one the other day, but like, I, I would be totally cool with them putting the camera on in their jam room when they're going, you know, rehearsing a set for a, a tour or, or something, continuing that level of engagement with their fans through all these other different platforms. Um, and so many bands have discovered ways to do that, which they never did before. Like even, I mean, the people weren't doing this on Instagram live before this. No. And so this is one thing that potentially is going to continue, right? Cause it's fun and it's cool and it's easy to do. Um, and so I, the hope is that more bands continue to engage with their fans on these platforms in ways to where they weren't doing it before, because I think it's equally as valuable in a time that everyone get, gets back to work and, and, you know, goes back to some sense of normality, um, it, it, you know, fans still want to be able to engage with their fans in different ways, whether it's here or Twitch or, or, or you know, some other, you know, platform. It's I, I, I feel like it's been positive as a way for bands to market themselves and engage with the fans. Um, I do not think that it will ever replace the actual live connection. I think everybody, fans and bands, everybody misses that scenario. And, you know, financially speaking, you know, some live stream isn't going to make up for, but if we can supplement, figure out a way to supplement that with what we love to do and hope to get back to sooner than later, then I feel like that's the positive that I pull out of this situation. So two things that I've kind of been thinking of too, and I don't really know how this is going to work. So Suicide Silence, I guess, announced that they're doing small rooms and they're going to broadcast those to basically a market area or a market share maybe. What I haven't really figured out, and I know I'm, <laughs> I put in <laughs> put in a request to talk to whomever during our area, like because I don't know if they're literally going to like small venues, renting them out basically, and then just broadcasting within a radius clause of whatever of that individual city, or if they're literally just staying where they are and then broadcasting to specific cities using a VPN or whatever and treating it like basically a tour. So I haven't really figured out how they're doing that, but if they were doing it to where they're actually going and touring per room or whatever, and then kind of raising the funds that way or whatever, do you think that's something that we will see a little bit more of as you're kind of starting to see people figure out what they can do? Or do you think you're going to start seeing more of these drive-in pop-up shows start happening? A couple things. So on the suicide silence thing, um, so I'll explain to you how that's working. And I will say okay. that in terms of 
someone coming out of this a winner, it's definitely suicide silence and their innovation to do what it is that they're doing. They, they won. They, they, they definitely won. They're the winners. That's it. It's it's, it's it. gold medal winning. Um, so what they're doing is they're actually not going to be mobile. They'll be stationary in okay. one place, but they, they are doing a, a world tour, 30, 30 shows, I think in 35 days, 39 days, and they're geo-locking the performances. Mm. So okay. say, say there's a Detroit, there's a radius of which people can watch that performance. And that performance will be specifically, whether it's in the United States or in Europe or in you know uh, South America or whatever, it's specifically timed for that that uh, that geographical location, okay. um, and and it's a set based on what those fans want, and so they'll do an hour and a half show based on a set list that that particular city has done or has has helped them create, and then they'll play that set, and then there's a Q and A after. I think it, the whole thing is like a two hour. Um, sort of uh, yeah. e- event, and um, and they're the only ones that have figured it out to where they're they're monetizing multiple areas and catering to that specific uh, that specific market. As far as I'm concerned, every band should be doing exactly what they're doing, um, and and I think it's great. And and they created the model. I think they created the you know the the uh, the coronavirus model. Um, right. I, 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 you know, and quite possibly they've created something because, you know, not every band can go to every city and every country that they have fans at. Right. I mean, so it's, it's, it's in, in a lot of ways, it, it doesn't factor into the routing or it's just too expensive to get to the, you know, the dark depth corners of, you know, Zimbabwe or whatever, but there's still fans <laughs> there waiting. Right. Yeah. So quite possibly what they've done is, they've figured out a way to supplement a tour by being able to then hit every area that has fans. So they can do a regular 30 city tour, but then hit another 30 cities that they couldn't get to by doing this kind of thing and also charge and, and, and really kind of, uh, you know, supplement their, their, uh, their, you know, their income for, for a tour. And, um, and I, and I think what they're doing is brilliant. Um, so, so and then and then the drive-in thing um the drive-in thing may or may not have might be expired by the time someone can really figure out how to do it well because bands are doing gigs yeah you know, club clubs are opening at 50 percent capacity um uh you know things like sturgis are gonna happen as they would have happened um and i i think that you know, if you consider that it's not even June yet and there's clubs opening this weekend, there's bands doing shows, there's the, the, the capacities are reduced, but the shows are the same. Um, I had a buddy's band drive to Tucson and headline a show at a club in Tucson last night. Um, you know, so that being said, I, I feel like I feel like if we're if clubs are at 50 percent capacity in May, then it's quite possible they'll be at 100% capacity by the end of the year, if not sooner. Um, so I feel like the drive up thing may, may not end up being a thing. You know, yeah. it's, it, it, it's quite possible. Um, doesn't mean people shouldn't still explore the idea, but I kind of feel like if I know that I can go to a show in say three months, I'll probably, I'll probably wait it out <laughs> because to, to pull off the, because Compared to what Suicide Silence is doing, that can actually they can actually continue to do that for the duration of their career, right? I mean, given the current scope of of, of you know, digital media, but a drive-in thing is only right now. Like that's not going to be something that people are going to want to do because they can't get out of their cars, they can't drink, right? It has to be a relatively limited time because of the expense of keeping everybody there and everything. It's I think it's got a, its own set of problematic issues um that uh you know may, in a time whenever you can't do anything other than stay in your car it's cool but as things start to open up in restaurants and clubs and and bars and tattoo shops and whatever i think the idea of a, a, of a drive-up show becomes less appealing 
what was kind of interesting is I was talking to a friend of mine that works at the Crowfoot out in Pontiac as a talent buyer and just kind of hearing and discussing some of the, the things that have been proposed. You know, a lot of people initially were talking about doing, you know, sheds, sheds and doing social distancing because they afforded more people to be able to attend these uh, events with social distancing in practice. But something that he and I kept bringing up was how financially feasible is that? Because if you're doing a shed tour, there's a certain nut that has to be made for that show just to break even and a ticket price that needs to be met between seats and lawn and all of that kind of stuff. Plus the, the cost of being, you know, venue operations and so forth. And a lot of these places would be hiring third party cleaning companies to come through and sanitize everything mm-hmm. that you took something that was, we'll just say 18, 1800 or 18,000 people. And then you cut that in like by a quarter, maybe it's like, how is that financially feasible for either the bands and the crew that they would need to, to maintain that on the road for the expenses, let alone how could, how would you be able to afford that as a ticket purchaser going forward? Cause you have to find some middle ground and the bands probably aren't going to be able to eat the cost and the venue or the ticket promoters probably aren't going to eat the cost either. So it just became a fun thing of it's got to start at the small venues. So I don't like, it was just kind of weird to see people entertaining the idea of going way bigger as the, the solution to the problem, as opposed to let's look at smaller and then work our way bigger from there. Yeah. I mean, I think the drive up thing is something that potentially, could have captured a headline done well, properly over, overseas, I believe. Yeah. Done properly six weeks ago, like yeah. pulled off and, you know, drive up and you live stream it and it's a thing and you, you capture that headline and you become innovative and unique, um, activating in the you know current time, time frame. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think those things will become less appealing as more stuff opens up. You know, I was kind of going back through and listening to the managemental stuff because you, or I'm sorry, a new level because you, on some of the Jabberjaw stuff, it, the ads have been popping up again for it. And it kind of made me wonder if it was the beginning of a tease of another season. I know you've kind of been on a few other shows saying, like, I think it was just a one-time thing I wanted to do. It was kind of overwhelming to kind of get it all done and get it all ready. And then you drop it and then it's kind of a let it be as it, you know, now is released. But does make me wonder in light of hearing some of those is there maybe a plan in some of this quote-unquote extra downtime of resurrecting that and doing another season or i thought i thought about it i mean uh you know the idea the idea was is that the the content would be evergreen and i believe that it is like i believe that yeah. you can pop in any of those episodes a year from now and and they'll be as informative for someone looking for information like that um I, I have been thinking about potentially recording a bunch of episodes with no intent of how it's going to end up just so I have them. Right. And if I, and if I decide, cause there's a, it's a lot of work, right? It's a, it's, it, it's a lot of work to, 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 um, to, the thing about it is that makes me think that it's plausible more so than, than before is that now everyone is so accustomed to zoom Right. Everyone is so accustomed to this. So it's a lot easier to get people to commit to do something. And then it's a lot easier to capture that audio. Um, right. So I thought like I could do a bunch of them and then just put them in the can and then maybe, you know, make a, a whole nother, you know, episode out or a whole nother season out of it. So I have been thinking about it. Um, I think it, it it's 50 50 if I pull it off <laughs> you know yeah it just it kind of made me wonder if it was like a, a pseudo teaser of something coming uh just because it's been kind of weird between that managemental obviously i know mike's been going through a bunch of stuff uh in the last little while um so obviously that's why that's kind of been on, on hold for a little bit um but i just didn't know if there was kind of plans for a return for both uh, or at least one or the other mike and i have been talking to some people about uh, potentially hosting um, a new version of managemental. Um, we, we've, we've talked to a few different uh, people about that. And ho- hopefully, you know, if, if it comes together, it's for all the right reasons um, and stuff, you know, because we feel like we, we've done what we could do with that. And now it kind of makes sense to partner up with someone that has a 
a very a target demographic for what it is that what we do in sort of music business education. Um, right. And, uh, and so it's important to align ourselves with someone that can, you know, that we can share the, the demographic and really kind of provide a service to someone that wants that information. Out of curiosity, did that podcast ever afford you guys the opportunity to go do like public speaking? Uh, neither. I mean, it didn't, but on the other hand, I don't think either of us tried. Um, to, to, I don't think we explored that as an option. Um, Mike and I did do something with uh, a, a friend of ours, Jason. There was a, there was a, a URM Academy um, thing in, in uh, it was in Vegas and we were on a panel um, and uh, so I, I, that's probably the only thing that, you know, was re- related to it, you know. Just seemed like I could see people in the business world, even though necessarily it's not strictly music related, but, you know, if you're successful or have management experience or expertise in something that it can, sometimes those philosophies and those policies and practices can be applied to other things to kind of think outside the box of maybe some of the issues some other people are having. So this is one of those that I could potentially see people kind of, especially being as DIY as both you and Mike's success stories are and were, that there would be some value in that uh, to, to bring you in front of people just to be like, look, like I was a dude, like, you know, I always love the story of you <laughs> driving and then just basically abandoning your car. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, that's, that's but I mean, you know, like you were saying earlier, that's what it fucking took. Like you were like, Hey, like I gotta keep moving. And you know, I'm not going to let a car being broke down, slow me down from getting where I need to be or doing what I need to do. And I think those philosophies apply to anything. It doesn't have to just be, you know, being in a band or whatever. I think those are just life lessons that intrinsically successful people have. Yeah. 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 Quite possible. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I often question the, the validity of, you know, music business education. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I, as a musician, I know musicians. So on one hand, (laughs) on, uh, uh, on one hand, I I know that the types that are very motivated and very information hungry, and then on the other hand, the majority of them I feel like think that they know everything anyway, and 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 they and they or they're caught in a mythological idea that someone will just do everything for them and then they just write the music, you know, and and now more than ever is a time for musicians to take full ownership of their music. I'll give you an example. So a, a, a friend of mine, uh, their, their band, they just put out their record last week or the week before re- recently. And, and, you know, they, they own all their, they own all their masters and, and they have a small independent label in uh, Oakland that, that puts out their you know music and, and they have a good relationship. They have a good working relationship with them. Um, but you know, they're they're a smaller independent band and label. Um, and then they were approached by a big indie after like three days after the record came out, and they were presented with a contract. And and I looked it over, and it's it's a very small amount of money for them to for the label to own their next three records mm. forever. Oh, so there's not even like a sunset clause on the contract then? No. And I mean, it, and it, it, it wouldn't anyway. I mean, it's either kind of like they own it forever or it's like a licensing deal. Right. But in, in this case, here's here's a few grand and then we're going to own your masters for your next three records. And I'm like, look, man, like <clears throat> talk to the band and see if see what they want to do. Right. Because this they may be thinking of this as a level up to where it's a justification by being with a bigger label that maybe bigger opportunities will present themselves. And I go, but this is what you're giving up. You're giving up full ownership of your masters and they want a piece of publishing and they want a piece of merchandising. And, and I'm like, if you think it's worth it, then maybe it's something to explore. I go, or 
if you realize that you're in a good position now, then potentially what you do is you take the contract and you, you mark it up with like almost unreasonably. Right. And, and see, and see, and see where it meets. And then potentially maybe there's a meet in the middle that everyone can live with and then it can justify it, justify the means. So, um, We'll see, but I, but once again, just to reiterate, I think now more important, bands need to retain full ownership of everything, of all their publishing, all their masters. And e- e- even at the point to where they then have to learn how to market themselves and how to get out there and how to tour on their own or whatever, but <clears throat> 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you don't own all your all your stuff, if you don't build your own catalog of assets, and you're just giving it all to a, a record label to exploit for the re- the duration of of the label's existence for three grand, five grand, like I, I struggle, I, tr- I struggle to make that make sense in 2020. Right. Out of curiosity, I've kind of brought this up to a couple of different people. Um, you know, like I had Christian uh, on the podcast, and we did a live thing recently from El Nino, uh, formerly. And, you know, he was kind of talking about some of the stuff he was going through and getting his like solo project, you know, signed and all that kind of stuff. And I had asked him, are you starting to see contracts not have outdated verbiage uh, as far as including streaming numbers now, including whether it be sunset clauses or maybe not, you know, we own the masters for a blank amount of time or whatever. And he was, you know, like, I have a lawyer that I kind of have handle all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they have hopefully my best interests at heart and all that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering, are you seeing more contracts now for for the newer bands and newer, like, people coming up where that verbiage is now in contracts? Or is it still antiquated where it's just about the physical, it's about, it's as it always has been? Uh, the, yeah, sure. There's plenty of that. I mean, there, there, there's plenty of horrendous deals out there. On the other hand, there are plenty of smart indies out there that have good situations with the artists that work for both the label and the artist. Um, whether it's a 50-50 net split and it's licensed like a licensing for you know a, a, a 10 years, say five years, you know, it's a short amount of time. Or in a lot of ways, these really small indies, they they just work it out to where it's just product based. Mm-hmm. they'll make 500 units. They'll give a hundred units to the band. The label will sell 400 units on their own. And then they don't account to one another and the band can sell the hundred units on their band camp and make all that money. And then the label, you know, sells their 400 copies and makes all that money. And, um, and then they, and for that, you know, they, they're the ones that put it up on all the DSPs. They, you know, they pay a publicist. They kind of cover some of that initial sort of, uh, you know, marketing visibility. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's just one option. But yes, are there still archaic 360 <laughs> record deals that are trying to take all the, all, all the rights and masters away from the bands? Hell yeah. Like that one that I saw the other day was pretty close to that. Um, and, uh, it, you know, and it's predatory on some level, uh, because in a lot of ways, these bands feel, and I understand it, but bands tend to feel validated by aligning with the label, because I think that, I think that in their minds, they think that, that, um, that, that, that someone else thinks the band is as valuable as the band does. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, 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 uh, and I think therein lies the problem whenever you can, you know, whenever you can be like, man, but look at the empire that Ian Mackay built, like, you know, but like doing it themselves and making their own rules and, and, and putting out their own records and finding, you know, bands to, to work with and sort of building their own scene and building their own environment and, and, and and doing it on their own terms man it's like to me that's much more inspiring than trying like looking at those models um you know it's just so much more inspiring to me than just giving all your rights and masters away for a few bucks just for the validity of being aligned with some label that had some success probably by luck (laughs) (laughs) it's been interesting you know following 
you know, having friends that are in the industry touring and all that kind of stuff and having people on behind the scenes and so forth and just kind of hearing how all of it works, uh, just kind of taking it all in. And, you know, something I was kind of thinking about recently in light of uh, Tony Bromo opening up another, I don't know if it's a boutique label or whatever, but basically opening another label or starting another label after he basically sold Victory. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about that whole Vic, I don't want to necessarily call it a scandal, but basically I forget who it was that worked at Victory basically shed light on everything that was going on within the, their tenure of working for them. And, you know, something that was kind of interesting and, you know, I'm not surprised it happens because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about making money, whether it's not paying out the money so you can keep it, you know, but hearing about how, you know, at least in Victory's sense, they would take out like end caps uh, at Best Buy at the time. And the album was already basically done. The band was getting ready to go record another record, but they're still taking out ad money for a record that should, shouldn't even have to have an end cap because it's, it's not time to focus on that record anymore. But that keeps them in the red, not in the black at that point, so they can't recoup. And it makes me wonder now with a lot of those avenues basically being gone for physical media, if it's making the transparency between a label and the band a lot more, a lot more transparent, or if there's still instances of that uh, kind of happening, although it's a little bit harder to find ways to do it where it's like, okay, we're taking maybe a full page ad out in print media, charging you for the full page ad, charging this band for the full page ad and whomever. And it's just like six bands on one full page ad where they're only getting a quarter of it or an eighth of it or whatever, you know, some of those kind of practices that you've, you've heard of, but I'm just kind of wondering if because of the transparency now of lack of spaces for these things to go on and be viable anymore, if it's making that go away and people having to be more honest. You think? No, I mean, the, the music industry will never be honest. Um, that, that's just, you know, it's, I mean, it was, it was, it was built on dishonesty <laughs> to begin with. And, and, uh, and I think that will, always continue i think the difference is, is that now fans can be smarter um they, they can you know they can market themselves they can they can hire a publicist right they can they can put their own music out they can go to they can go to furnace manufacturing and make vinyl they can put up a band camp they can make a shopify store um you can print on demand merch um you can put up your you can make your music on your laptop at home you can put up that music on on all dsps through DistroKid or cd baby or whatever right. um you know i i really kind of struggle with the idea of what a label really even brings to the table especially if you don't need any cash infusion to help you know make the make your recordings and most bands these days I, I don't um and uh you know I, I see a lot of bands you know a lot of independent bands making their own making their own futures and owning the, their catalog uh yeah I, I really kind of feel like that's the way to go like even on a smaller even on a smaller club level you can make a living yeah if you if you own it everything especially if you're smart enough to create a create a scene with it and, and, and develop a real sort of message that resonates with the, the fan base of people. And it doesn't have to be the biggest fan base in the world, as long as you know, so you, you retain all your rights. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, like I said, I mean, I think you'll find good people in this industry and you'll find bad people in this industry. And that's, that's probably always going to be the way it is. Um, and that's unfortunate, but you know, you got to, you got to try and be as smart as you can. This might be an odd question. And I just kind of was thinking about it as you were saying that the industry is always kind of, I don't want to say corrupt, basically just is the way it is. Um, how has being and traversing your way through the industry as in all the facets that you do, how has it changed you? Good, bad, or indifferent, I guess. Sorry, one more time. You know, you were kind of saying that, uh, you know, as we're kind of talking about the business side of things kind of fucking over the bands and so forth that are trying to just make a go of it. You know, in light of all of those things where, you know, maybe sometimes it's easier, a better opportunity for you uh, to, to lie, cheat, steal, whatever. 
to get ahead, to gain whatever, how has your time in the industry affected you for the good, the bad, the, you know, whatever in between? Is there something you can think of where you're like, oh, wow, had I not been in this industry, I probably wouldn't have this characteristic trait or I wouldn't have done this. Uh, or is maybe there's not an example of that. Maybe you've kind of just always stayed straight and narrow and stuck to your guns the whole way through. Well, I mean, you see different types of people throughout this business and I've been in this business a long time and, and, and you can choose to surround yourself with whatever types of people you want, right? Like if I wanted to find a bunch of crooked assholes, I could, um, and I could easily surround myself with them. Um, I, but I made the decision to not do that. Right. I made the decision to be around, surround myself with people that I thought were very smart and, and very innovative and didn't have to be criminal to do so. I think Ash Avelson is, is a really good example of that, of someone who repeatedly has innovated in this business very successfully by, by following his own vision and his, and his own gut instincts and not being criminal in the process. Um, you know, and, and I've been lucky enough to be in a circumference of that guy for a long time. Um, and, um, and, 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 and I choose to surround myself with people that I think are good. Like, you know, Brian Slagle, I mean, he, he, he metal blade records, you know, they, they signed my first band and, you know, first three records I ever did was with them. And, and I'm still friends with him and he still has an active label because he's a good dude, right? He's not, he's not, a, he's not a Tony Brummel, you know, he's, right. he's not, he's, he's not that type of personality. But my point is, is that I could have surrounded myself with pe- the Tony Brummels of the business. Right. I could have, I could have, I could be an extension of those guys, but that, that, that wasn't my decision. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't mine. I didn't, I I didn't feel like I think too because I'm coming from the musician side of it first, right? Is is that and, I, and not to say that I ever felt wrong. I mean, I, you know, I, I was lucky enough, but um, but uh, you know, I just I, I think it just I just came from an honest position, and so so that, that that's what kind of just happened sort of organically because that felt like that was the right thing to do. Out of curiosity. You know, I'm, as you were kind of just saying that, you know, talking about surrounding yourself with the people, you know, that are of a certain character quality and that, you know, kind of are inspiring to you to, to you know, achieve certain levels of success and so forth. What has been, what has it been like being around Sharon Osbourne and kind of getting to see her? Because, you know, a lot has been made over the, the decades of, you know, how she's been able to navigate Ozzy's career and, and have a career for herself and you know her family all her kids basically have careers in the industry and so forth in the entertainment industry and I feel like that would be someone who would be really interesting to just kind of sit down and shoot the shit with and just kind of because she seems like a no bullshit kind of person which I, mm-hmm. I admire people like that who will just tell you the way it is it may not be how you want to hear it, but it's uh, it's one of those that I have always admired what she's been able to do in an industry dominated by men, especially back when she got into it, and how long she's been able to stay in it and stay relevant. And so I feel like that's, as someone who would probably aspire to find qualities like that in other people that you want to be surrounded by, what is something that you know, you in, maybe in conversations you've had with her or whatever, that you've been able to kind of take something from or learn from her firsthand? I mean, you know, the, the one thing is, is that, you know, she's been in the business for a long time and, and, you know, you, you hear stories and those, I haven't witnessed anything along the lines of what people will say. Um, I've never been privy to anything like that. She's been nothing but super generous to, to all of us. And, you know, look, and, and, and they're running a business and they're running a family business. So, I think it's also too coming into the situation like that, being realistic and understanding the situation, right? I think right. you can very easily misunderstand the situation and then therefore feeling you've been wronged because you didn't get a grasp of what you were dealing with, right? But <laughs> um and, and uh but no, she, she she's been great and um you know, you know, I mean I think if anything, it's, it's, 
her just not taking anything, like not taking no for an answer, like just like you said, like going into something like this already, like with so much adversity and to really charge ahead and, and, and take the reins and, and being able to, you know, run the career of one of the most successful I mean, really the guy that invented heavy metal on some level, right. um, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like she manages just some dude, like he's, <laughs> he, he's like, he's the reason why we're all here, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's pretty important responsibility for the rest of us to take someone like that and not only make incredible music, and navigate the the music world and to release that but then to invent something like ozfest and then create the careers and help build the careers for system of a down and slipknot like the next generation right of of doing that because of the fact that something like Lollapalooza didn't want you you know like so many people could have been like "Oh, oh that's a bummer Lollapalooza doesn't want us she's like no fuck that. We're going to create our own festival and we're going to put all the newest hippest bands and we're going to create another generation of, of, of developing this music one step further for a whole nother generations to, to enjoy, you know, like, and, and, and and so to me, I, I take that as a, as a very key example of, of not be, not letting other people, tear you down in any way you know to take that as inspiration to to follow your instincts and know that you have a much stronger purpose here than by what someone some other gatekeeper curator or whatever can dictate to you you know i mean i think that's 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 the takeaway yeah i think the fact that you know with osfes I mean, I, this could be misinformation too, but I, I swear I remember hearing about it on, you know, one of the behind the scenes of the Ozfest or the Osbournes or something that Jack also was heavily handed in finding some of the up and coming bands. Like, oh, I was listening to, you know, we'll say every time I die, I found this band. Let's put them on the second stage and the one of the first or Mastodon or, you know, Gojira or whatever. You know, any of these bands, it was kind of Jack kind of informing as the younger person that would be going to these shows. And, the fact that they would take his input and be like, actually, yeah, like you're the demographic, one of the demographics of many that we're trying to go after. So why wouldn't we want some of these up and coming bands and make relationships with the trust kills and the, you know, the ferret musics and stuff like that back in the day of, you know, expanding, you know, and maybe building up your next headliners and stuff like that to where you can, you know, maybe some of these bands end up becoming the first to four on a package tour for Ozzy and whomever that it's like, you're kind of grooming the next round of bands. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, with OSS being gone, there's a little bit of that that's, that's missing. Same with work tour to a degree, you know, there's a little bit of the tribal knowledge that is able to be passed down from the bigger bands to the, the up and coming bands that then allows them to kind of move forward and be like, you know, someone from this band really kind of taught me how you're supposed to do this and not to be an asshole and get wasted at fucking 10:30 in the morning or whatever. But it's, a uh, I don't know. It's just been kind of interesting growing up and, like I said, listening to your podcasts and listening to a lot of the music podcasts I listen to where it's just like, I feel like there's something missing and I don't know what it is and I haven't been able to put my finger on it. I don't know if it's if it's the fact that some of these festivals aren't around where it's a multi-generational thing and sure. don't look to them every year and look forward to going all day and finding new bands. I don't know if it's that people don't want to take the time to find new bands anymore. They just want whatever is directly in front of them and, and spoon-fed to them. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, 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 I also feel like, you know, that, that, that I do a little, I, I help as much with that as possible because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm older, I've been around for a while. And so I'm around a lot of people that are, you know, my age and whatnot. And, and it, it's, it's a common, it's a common scenario where someone goes like, man, there's no good music anymore. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I understand that, right. I, I understand it because, my generation of people growing up, things were in front of us. Like you didn't have to, you didn't really have to go digging that far. Like you could turn on the radio, you know, you had friends, um, you, you could turn on MTV and, you know, they played cool stuff and stuff, you know, as much as there was Madonna and Michael Jackson, there's Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Right. Um, 
and uh, and stuff. So so now you have this. You have when you look at what a band can be, right? Like then you you look at it and you go like, man, you could be in a band and you could play arenas, right? Like that's where it could go. Like you could get together with your friends in the garage and you could build this thing and it could go as far as two arenas. Now, not not so much. So I really commend bands that are getting together in a garage, writing original music, putting it out themselves or finding a label to put it out and to, to go that whole route with seemingly no reward, right? They're doing it for the love of doing it. And, and I feel like that going unnoticed is, is a bit of a tragedy. So, <laughs> so I do what I can, you know, I like, I mean, I, I, I'm a metal guy, like I like riffs, you know, I like, but I like melody too. Um, and uh, so I do what I can to find up and coming bands and add them to a, a, my own playlist. And so that way, whenever someone goes, man, there's no good music coming out. And I go, well, here's where you're wrong. And I send them a link to my, my playlist on Spotify. And there's a bunch of killer shit in there, you know, like, and, and I do one every year for the albums and bands that come out every year. And I follow them on Instagram and I try and support them as much as possible. Um, and there's a lot of great, albums from front to back that have come out this year so far and and to 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 them to be kind of just brushed aside or not noticed right so i do what i can to help support the next generation out of curiosity i know you uh did one of these with uh, my friend frank uh for the for the nomads uh Mm -hmm. fundraiser thing he was starting I don't recall if he was doing a second round of these like donation silent auction things. Was that something I don't think I've come across yours. If you already are involved in that, was that something you were had been tapped to do? I know like seemingly between his cat brand. um, I know you're a fan of that and stuff like that. So I didn't know if there was maybe something that we could expect from you for that coming up for, to raise money for a lot of people we've been talking about the behind the scenes touring industry, uh, or if that was something they'd even approach with you, but I kind of figured, I haven't talked to him in the last few days because he's been so busy with it. Um, I think yeah. the silent auction have raised almost twenty twenty five thousand dollars on top of the forty five thousand. I think they've raised on the GoFundMe. But it's great, you know. He, yeah, I mean, he's once again. It's you know, it's sort of specific people taking this as an opportunity to challenge yourself and innovate and not let it kick you in the nuts you know, and not use it as an excuse to sit back and hope someone else does something for you down the line. Um, I, I love what he's doing and, and I, and I definitely support it all the way. And any way that I can help, he, he knows that I'm, I'm there for him. I know we've probably got like two minutes left on this thing or so. Uh, is there anything you want to plug any projects, any bands maybe you want to plug uh, while people are still watching this? Um, no, man. I mean, I think, uh, you know, um, go to, go to my, uh, my Spotify playlist. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, in, it's linked in my, uh, in my bio on my Instagram. Um, and, uh, you can find a wealth of cool stuff there. Um, and, um, yeah, man, I mean, I think, you know, I think that's really it. I mean, thanks for having me and, and, uh, no, thanks you know, for doing it. Yeah. I had a lot of fun talking with you on the last one, which was more centric to the podcast, but I know there's, like I said, the handful of times you've been on Josta and so forth. It's always, it's always just interesting because you, you just kind of shoot from the hip and, you know, in an industry where a lot of people will kind of give answers that make themselves look good or just kind of push the agenda of whatever they want to, to be promoting or whatever. It's nice to hear someone kind of talk out loud and kind of work through solutions to things because I think that's the only way that, more progress gets made in any solving anything. And it's one of those that uh, always wants to be a part of that, not just be behind the scenes and just go, well, I'm going to do these things for myself and only me. Yeah. I mean, look, like I would love somehow to help propel the music business forward and maybe selfishly the music that I like, you know, rock and metal um, as much as possible. And, 
and uh, and to have a voice in there. And you know, I mean, because if, if you think about it, like a lot of where we're at now, um, a lot of the progress made in in music industry has been by tech people, not by music people. <laughs> um, it, you know, so that's 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 a little it's a little unfortunate. You know, that 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 that's how, how we're along for the ride from someone that really has no love for what it is that we do, you know, right. and that we're, and that we're so passionate about, right. It's, it's, it's kind of, when you think, you think about that, it's, 